This is People Every Day. Coming up... I just didn't want to be alive anymore. Delving deep into Meghan and Harry's shocking Oprah interview. Plus... Well, now we have Malala, the producer. <laughs> women's rights activist Malala Yousafzai on Her Life Now. It's March 8th. Hello, everyone out there. This is People Every Day, presented by Macy's. Janine Rubenstein here. Happy Monday to you all. And this Monday is an eventful one, at least here on the show. Uh, Later on, I have the honor of chatting with the endlessly inspiring Malala Yousafzai. Uh, Today is International Women's Day, and the young Pakistani women's rights activist opens up to me about her world now, nearing 10 years, almost 10 years since the attack on her life and her exciting new project with Apple TV Plus. So you don't want to miss that. But before we go there, it's time for the news that everyone is talking about. Okay, so. My husband and I had a slight struggle for the remote last night because for whatever reason, they scheduled the NBA All-Star Game during a truly momentous occasion in my world, which was Harry and Meghan's no-holds-barred sit-down interview with Oprah. And that, my friends, is what I'm going to break all the way down today. And joining me now to do just that is People Editor-in-Chief Dan Wakeford and Senior Royals editor and just expert, Michelle Tauber. Hi, you guys. How are you? I don't know if you can hear it, but I am so excited <laughs> to get into this Hi, today. It was a big night. It, it is a big, it's a big night and a big day dissecting last night now. Oh my goodness. It was big. Okay. Just straight out the bat. You guys have covered this in and out for, you know, many, many, many years. Um, give me two to three words or less your impression I mean, I thought it was a lot more shocking than I expected. And I think sad is really the, the takeaway for me. It was a really sad portrayal of um, Inside the Monarchy. You don't get an interview like this very often. It's once in a generation. And Royal talks about what's it really like inside the monarchy. Yeah, I would go with um, shattering, um, mm. heartbreaking, and stunning. Wow. Okay. That just gives you a tease. So so Megan and Harry spoke to Oprah for two hours and painted a very unflattering portrait of royal life, you know, starting very soon after their royal wedding that everyone watched and, and loved. Um, you know, Megan talks about feeling isolated and, and not allowed to go to lunch with friends and, and the relentless attacks by uh, the media out there in the UK. That was something that she really, you know, dug into. But I, I think the first real jaw dropping moment was when she, you know, spoke about her breaking point and and that there was so much criticism. So let's let's take a listen to what she said there. I just didn't want to be alive anymore. So the institution is never a person or is it a series of people? No, it's a person. It's a, a person. It's several people, but I went to one of the most senior people just to, to get help. It's like you were trapped and couldn't get help even though you're on the verge of suicide. That's what you are describing. That's what I'm hearing. Yes. Wow. I was so struck by this. Dan, uh, can you talk about when this happened? Because she was pregnant 
they show her, you know, at, at a party around when she was describing this event and she was very pregnant. Did we know any of this was going on at that time? We didn't know any of this was going on. And that is what it was shocking about this. After what happened with Diana, this is big echoes of Diana, by the way. She had exactly the same isolation, exactly the same struggles. Um, the royal family did make moves to try and welcome people and transition them into the royal family in a, in a better way. So this really came as a huge shock. And just the idea that somebody is asking for help and not getting help is just jaw-dropping to anybody. So um, I also think it's important to note that you're not really getting true clarity in that clip we just listened to as to who exactly she's referring to when she yeah. says she she went, you know, is, is she referring? She says, Oprah pressed her. Are you saying that, the, that these are people or this is an institution? And she says people. And I went to very senior people. But I think it's still unclear a, who those people were, and is she referring to senior members of the family or senior aides? I think we don't know. And also, and also whether she's been turned down to go to rehab and outpatient facility or what was other support mm -hmm. offered, because that just seems obvious. Yeah. I mean, they, that the whole idea of the institution, the firm versus the family came into play a lot. And I do think Oprah tried to kind of suss out yeah. multiple times. Who specifically are you talking about? Who told you these things? Who said this? But let's talk about um, the arrival of Archie, uh, their son, and, and how that was a turning point for them. Um, Megan and Harry, they, they mentioned that one of their first big concerns was that he, they were told that he wouldn't have a title and that there wouldn't be security for Archie. Um, so even before getting into the question of race, um, one really shocking moment was when she detailed a conversation that Harry had with a senior, again, a senior member of the family who made comments about what Archie's skin tone would look like. Let's listen to that concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? And who, who is having that conversation with you? What? So, um, there is a conversation. Hold up. Hold up. There's Stop several right now. There are several conversations. There's a conversation it. with you with Harry about how dark your baby is going to be potentially and what that would mean or look like. So there's just been this underlying current of of, of racial insensitivity and, and the, the, the hope that the family could get over these hurdles just from the very beginning of, of, of Megan being introduced into this world. But now we're hearing, I guess, from her mouth that there were clear discussions about essentially her race and her her son's race. But do we have any idea who would have or could have said this? Well, we do because um, Oprah actually asked Harry off camera whether it was um, either of his grandparents, Queen Elizabeth or Prince Philip, and she he made it clear that it wasn't those two people. But to be honest with you, there's only a few members of senior royals it could be. So now there is speculation about who that person is, and it's just a very, very sad and shocking situation. And I, and I do think the way that Megan posed, the, in terms of, of the, the race conversation, as well, saying that, you know, the first, just the optics of it, the first, you know, baby of color in this family um, would not 
have a title and she she just thinks that it 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 kind of takes away oh, i agree i agree the idea that the first time they're making that pronouncement is of a child of color is is, is the optics of that is just terrible and the idea of linking those two facts which i think the palace are going to have to talk about for sure for sure so one other really shocking moment for me that I want to get into, and I think we all gasped when this was said, was when Harry said he and his dad, he and Prince Charles, weren't on speaking terms at a point. Uh, so let's just look back at their history. What can you tell me, Michelle, about that relationship and how it's panned out up until now? Yeah, um, you know, this is this is complex. Um, again, this there is a lot of um, pain that we know um, originates from the troubled marriage between Diana and Charles. Um, you know, the couple's young sons, William and Harry, growing up seeing um, in particular their mother's anguish, um, their mother then sharing that with the world. And, and then of course, the um, the trauma of, of Diana's death and the way that that was handled um, by the family, by the institution, I think there are so many layers of pain there that inform um, possibly what you're seeing now. Um, and I think that, you know, Harry, that is the most open we have ever heard him be about his relationship with his father. And we have reported for several years now that we knew that there was a strain there. But I think what you said, Janine, you know, it was it was shocking to hear him say that his dad stopped taking his calls. Yeah. And, 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 and Dan, like regarding the, the institution as a whole, you, you got this feeling of us and them. And so can, can you talk about how uh, the royal family just in general, because this, you know, this creates its own optics. Like how was it perceived in the UK and, 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 and how do you feel this is going to impact that perception? That's a very good question because in America we're brought up with Disney and there's a fantasy of fairy tales and we pr we project onto these characters. But in England it's a very different situation. You do have a certain large part of the the country who do feel this is an outdated, unmodern institution. That it's an undemocratic institution. That somebody is inheriting power. They are the figureheads of the government. So the idea that somebody is inheriting this power and this privilege is undemocratic. So there are feelings. And I think the interview was really revealing and it did show how fragile the monarchy is when Harry said that they feel trapped within the monarchy. So you've got these people within the monarchy who are in the ultimate privilege who aren't happy. And it does question how fragile and the future of the monarchy in many senses. Let's talk a little bit about how that plays into their 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 interaction with the media, because the media came up so much. Of course, we know that that was a big uh, factor in, in the issues that, that Meghan had with her her existence in, within the royal family, just the attacks um, from the media. So the, the, idea, the idea is that the media is portraying the royal family in a certain way. So the power of the media to portray the royal family in a positive light means that the, the future of the monarchy is more solid if, if the royals are being portrayed in a positive way. So I think that is what the tension and relationship is there, that the media has the power to um, portray somebody in a negative light and plus chip away at the power of the monarchy. Well, I also think um, one of the most stunning comments we heard, um, which which came out later from, from the interview, was Megan drawing the distinction that rude and racist are not the same thing. Her going there in terms of saying 
I was treated differently than Kate was. And the reason for that is because of my skin color, because I'm a woman of color. And, you know, she even specifically said, you know, um, Kate was subject to headlines about being weighty Katie when she was dating her, uh, William and how long it took for him to propose in, in the media's mind. Um, and that that's not nearly the same as what she faced in terms of media treatment. One person who is no longer around, um, but who very much came up last night is Princess Diana. And, um, in, and in one moment, Harry talks about, you know, how difficult, how, how it was for his mom to not have anyone to like really cling to in the midst of that storm. So, so let's listen to what he had to say about his mom. I think she saw it coming. And I certainly felt her presence throughout this whole process. And I'm, you know, for me, I'm, I'm just really relieved and happy to be sitting here talking to you with my wife by my side because I can't begin to imagine what it must have been like for her going through this process by herself. This particular moment, as he was saying it, it made me think of that this was a shared experience. It was a shared loss between him and William. Um, they both lost their mother in that horrific way. But you see now that there is that that splinter between them. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to do with Diana, right? It doesn't have to do with they they agree upon the fact that that what she faced was horrific. I would think it's possibly due to the fact that Diana wasn't a member of the royal family before and that Harry was born into it. So like she left she paved the way for being able to leave the royal family, but Harry I think William probably perceives it more of a ch as a choice to leave the royal family than what Michelle, what what Diana had. What do you think, Michelle? Yeah, I think that's probably that that could very well be the case. And I think also you're dealing with two very different personalities, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. These are two very different men, and and also then factoring in again the difference between being the heir and not being there. We have to do this. Some lighter moments, you guys. There were some really beautiful... I mean, we're in the backyard in Montecito. It, it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, chickens. There chickens. were chickens. What, <laughs> yeah, what were some of your favorite moments? This is some heavy stuff, but there were some like beautiful light moments. Dan, take me through like what your favorite thing to see was. I mean, hearing and seeing the joy on Harry's face as he tells Oprah that they're having a go yes. was, was just a really lovely, joyful lovely moment and he was so beaming and it, that was that was lovely to see absolutely i yes this was definitely uh, the de-disnification of royal life <laughs> but it was we still got that happy ending um for them but you know this, it's not really an ending because we were waiting on the palace to see what their response will be to this and and more will come out of this you guys thank you for taking me through it so expertly and effortlessly this was awesome thank you thanks janine Next up, Malala on everything from graduating from college during the pandemic to keeping up the fight despite everything she's been through. Stay tuned. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey. 
It is Women's History Month, and today I am so truly honored to be speaking with a young woman, a history maker, who has inspired a generation. As a teen, she faced down hatred and unthinkable tragedy and came out the other side stronger and more empowering than ever. That young woman joining me now is activist and Nobel Peace Prize winner Malala Yousafzai. Malala, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. This is such such an honor. Um, so thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, you're you're 23 years old now, and, and you've done and experienced more than most people have in a lifetime. You're an author, an advocate and for education, an experienced public speaker, a storyteller. Um, but you have so much coming up as well. So tell me first about what you're doing with Apple TV and and, and what this next big event is for you. I am really, really excited to announce my partnership with Apple TV Plus uh, to produce original TV content. Uh, And, you know, I'm really thrilled to be working on, you know, producing comedies and animation and documentaries and movies. And I hope that, you know, especially that we reach out to young women and girls through this. But, you know, I'm also hoping that people of all ages will join and enjoy these shows that I make. For sure. And so so just tell me a little bit. It runs the gamut. So comedy, drama, all of that. Um, What's the one that you would say you lean into the most personally? So I'm a big fan of animation and comedy together. Animation has been, you know, part of me throughout my childhood watching Cartoon Network shows from Tom and Jerry to, you know, Power of Girls and Encourage the Cowardly Dog. And, you know, there's just so much to learn from that. It is, you know, it's part of your growth and education. And uh, uh, and then uh, I, you know, I've also watched, you know, all of those famous movies like, you know, Inside Out and Shrek and Madagascar. And I am very loyal. I watch literally each and every movie. And then I also like comedy because, you know, there's so much work that we all have to do. And I, you know, was busy in my studies and doing activism and all of this work. Uh, and, you know, just like everybody else, I also need a break uh, to just, you know, focus on, on a show like, you know, Big Bang Theory or watch, uh, you know, yeah. Girlfriends or Ted Lasso and just, you know, enjoy his sense of humor and his, you know, not stop, non-stop conversations. For sure, for sure. And you said girlfriends. That's a personal favorite of mine. <laughs> um, you, you recently graduated from the University of Oxford. Congratulations. That's amazing. Uh, what was that experience like for you? And, and, and how did you just kind of navigate that whole college world? Uh, in Oxford, uh, I was studying philosophy, politics, and economics, and it was such a beautiful college, like the buildings and those historical libraries and beautiful gardens. So just being there in itself was, you know, you're living sort of like you're in a in a heaven or, you know, in a beautiful place. It was also my first time that I was living on my own. You know, you're not surrounded by your parents and your family yeah. members. And you're like going through that transition of like becoming independent and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, knowing yourself a bit more. And so for me, it was like, literally, I was like, I even like found, I learned so much about myself Then you know, I was learning things from the textbooks and from the lectures, but I was also learning so much like through my friends and those conversations and like mm-hmm. just a day-to-day gossip and like, you know, sitting together and watching our favorite TV show and, and just, you know, giggling about that. And uh, so it's just that friendship that you build, that time that you spend with the people around you. It's just yeah. so valuable. And um, so I, and I love that you know, it was 
quite unfortunate for all of the 2020 students that they had to graduate yeah. from home and uh, and I was one of them but I'm I'm just happy that you know I had that experience and I'm a graduate now <laughs> and yeah that was amazing Nice. Welcome to adulthood, adulthood. <laughs> um, but but let's but let's go back to to when you were younger. I mean, it's it's almost been ten years now um, since. I mean, you you were thrust onto the world stage, um, and your work, uh, your your calling was thrust onto the world stage because of the attack on your life when you were just fifteen. What would you say was that that thing that after it all? happened and and after you were on the healing and the mend um you just kept going with your fight for for girls education and that calling what pushed you to continue after all of that i will be honest there was a moment where you know i had to make a decision whether i want to continue my activism for girls education or not and and i just thought about it and realized that you know the the terrorists wanted to to silence me forever and they did make that attempt and it it just did not succeed like you know it's uh the bullet went like so close to the brain and you know if you still survive from such uh you know incident you realize that maybe you're here for for a reason that this is a second life uh and you're here for a purpose and for me that was like the education of girls uh you know i was one of the girls whose education was taken away from her it was the girls in swat valley who could not go to school at the time of terrorism uh but now like i have the opportunity to speak for girls globally there are 130 million girls who cannot go to school so you know it's the story of these girls that you know that inspire me that keep me going uh to keep on fighting for girls education um so you know uh, i this this has become part of my life now it's a beautiful beautiful part of your life uh, can you tell us anything about um what is keeping you hopeful and how you're from northwest pakistan uh, how things are looking there now for for girls education so things are changing we're seeing you know huge progress in in the education of girls but then there's a pandemic and things have become more difficult and yeah. girls are at home and malala funded a research that shows that 20 million more girls are at risk of losing their education uh but you know what what uh, really gives me hope is the stories of these young girls how they are not giving up and they're still fighting for their rights to have you know their education uh and uh, and you know that's what gives me inspiration and and hope for the future awesome awesome and and this month of course march is is we're honoring women what's a message that you would send out to young women uh this month and and every day I think today I just want to thank all the women for you know all their incredible work and I would want to remind them that you know just take a bit of a break enjoy this day celebrate this day just you know be proud of all that you have achieved in your life so many you know girls and, and women are right now they are you know they're uh, at home they are you know doing their studies online or they are looking after their family or they're managing their work plus their family you know being in one house and just coping with with all of that what is going on so i just want to remind you that you know look after yourself take a break and and just celebrate all that you have done in your life uh you know we still have a lot to fight for but it's also a moment to be proud of what we have already done such a wonderful message malala thank you so much for your time this is just an honor to speak with you thank you so much 
That was the incredible Malala Yousafzai. For more on her and other women changing the world, head over to people.com and pick up this week's issue. Um, Before you go, something to make you smile. I'm a big fan of happy tears. And if you haven't watched this past weekend's Critics' Choice Awards, you should, because eight-year-old Alan Kim had the waterworks going in the best way. He won Best Young Actor for his role as David, a kid who immigrates to America from Korea with his family in the much-buzzed-about film Minari. It's a must-watch, you guys. But just listen to his emotional acceptance. Tears just streaming on down his little tux. It was adorable. Job well done, Alan. And I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Tomorrow. 